I remember thinking, don't rock the boat, Tiffany. I remember thinking, just smile and nod, Tiffany. Oh, if I could go back in time and do that a little differently, I definitely would. Welcome to This or More, a wild entrepreneurial podcast adventure for bold and brave creatives like you. I'm Tiffany Knapper, your host, holistic business coach, corporate music industry dropout, a seasoned five-time multi-six-figure entrepreneur, yoga instructor, and your go-to gal for heart-to-heart coffee chats. On this show, we're not just here to share stories. We're here to ignite a fire within you and make you realize that the reality you envision is just the tip of the iceberg. You're wildly capable of achieving that reality and so much more. You'll hear my personal triumphs and failures, along with raw, unfiltered stories of fellow creatives who've paved a path to a bank account that screams cha-ching and a life that is filled with joy. There will be live coaching, actionable tips that you can apply immediately, along with a hearty dose of kick-in-the-pants motivation. So my friends, grab your cup of inspiration, settle in, and let's dive into another inspiring episode of This or More. Where to begin? (laughs) With 44 spins around the sun and 27 working years under my belt, I have so many stories I cannot wait to share with you, and we'll get to all of them in due time. But when I reflect on my life and my journey to date, one theme kept reappearing, and it's the theme of courage and this desire to live boldly and to do things that no one else thought I could or should do, even when it felt hard, even when I felt small, even when I felt like an imposter, right? So in today's episode, we're going to dive deep into my personal journey. I'm going to share the lessons I learned at each juncture. Buckle up, because before today, there were many roads, many intersections, and even a few wrong turns. And in the end, I think you'll understand why I'm so passionate about guiding other business owners like you and helping you learn your own life-changing lessons along the way and hopefully saving you from a few of those wrong turns that I made. Okay, so let's speed up. Let me let me take you through some of the earlier stuff that led to the moment that I decided to quit my job and become an entrepreneur a term that I really didn't use back then, but obviously I use now. So I was born in a very small town in Ruston, Louisiana, and I never felt like I belonged there. I remember begging, begging my family to move us to Dallas, Texas, because my dad had the potential for taking another job there and it was going to move the family. And I was so excited to get to the big city. Newsflash, it didn't pan out. We never left Ruston, Louisiana, but I wanted to live in New York City or Paris There was something deep inside of me that told me that I was made for more. And I never let go of that that desire. So lesson number one, don't ignore your inner voice. As a child, I spent my summers going to Ohio with my grandparents, where my mama's family owns farms. They were farmers. And back then they had pigs, and I quickly fell in love with the little baby runts of every litter. I was a sucker for wanting to save the little guys. (laughs) Guess not much has changed. And I was clearly oblivious to where they were going to end up after I quote unquote saved them, but that's not the point. I became so obsessed with pigs that my mom and dad would eventually move us to a great grandmother's home, other side of the family, but great grandmother's home in Heiko, Louisiana. Now it's a small town. There's one stop sign. That's it. The house was old. It had sloping floors and an old outhouse in the back before they had plumbing. 
and a barn. And I was able to have a pig of my own. I was probably 11 or 12 years old. And I wasn't sure if my sister would ever really let me live it down because she was four years older than me. And she was in that process, that stage of life where she was starting to go on some dates and get her driver's license. And that meant she had to learn how to drive down a bunch of old dirt roads. And she had to drive about 20 or 30 minutes into town to get to high school. And yeah, needless to say, she wasn't thrilled with me. But I'm not 100% sure what that chapter of my life taught me, except that pigs can break your heart. They're so loving, so loyal, and that my parents really did love me, and they were listening, and they said, you know, she really wants this thing, and we're going to make it happen for her, and and that was wow. You know, there's was a wow moment, like, wow, my family is going to do whatever it takes to give me this thing that I desire. So I think the lesson was for me to be relentless in pursuit of what you want, even when it seems impossible even when it seems impossible. Okay, so fast forward. I went off to college. I majored in journalism. I thought I would chase a fashion magazine dream all the way to New York City, but I happened to graduate the same year as 9-11, and it changed my plans. My dad said, absolutely not. You're not moving to New York City right now. So I settled for another city that had the word new in it, New Orleans. And I didn't have a job, and I pulled out the paper every day and circled with a red pen, jobbed ads and went on interviews and landed a job as a receptionist at a marketing company, worked my way up a little bit to maybe an assistant of some sort. It was not a good gig. I also landed a bartending job, more on that for another day. And for about two years, I worked six or seven days a week, marketing job five days a week, two shifts every weekend as a bartender, saving my pennies so that I could eventually move to New York City and chase that dream. That was at the age of 23 years old. Unfortunately, the winters and a very young heartbreak left me cold and sad, so I did not last long, just shy of one year before my dad drove up to New York City in the, in the middle of winter in December to help me load up my stuff and move back down south to New Orleans. So my lesson there is don't, if you don't risk anything, you risk even more. I know I would have always regretted if I hadn't chased that dream to New York City. So I'm really glad I did, even though it might not have panned out exactly the way I had anticipated. When I got back to, down to New Orleans this time, I packed up my car and I decided to drive east along I-10, stopping in every major city, dropping off my resume and some writing clips to try to land a journalism job. This was what I said I was going to set out for do, to do and I was determined to do it. I sort of fed my way into my first journalism gig. It was actually a role as editor of a Gannett weekly paper. So I had been driving along I-10, right, dropping off resumes. And when I got the call, I didn't exactly know who the call was coming from. And they said, can you be here tomorrow at 8 a.m.? And I figured out this was Pensacola, Florida, and I was in New Orleans, about three-ish hours away, probably, maybe three and a half, four hours away. And I was like, yep, I'll be there. <laughs> and I quickly threw some things in the trunk and set my alarm for who knows when early in the morning so that I could get there, pretend like I lived in Pensacola, Florida. I was thrown for another loop when I got there because I thought I was going in for a response that I had um, submitted for a reporter position for the Pensacola News Journal. But I, when I got there, I saw on the table this bi-weekly paper called the Pelican, which I was familiar with, but it was their like weekly alternative paper. 
And I was like, that's interesting. And then the questions got a little bit more bizarre. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm being interviewed for the role of editor of this weekly paper, not for a reporter. And so again, probably fibbed my way through that a little bit. I landed the gig and it was a beautiful gig. It was one of the most transformational gigs and moments and pivotal moments in my life, but I definitely fibbed a little to get through it. So my lesson there is don't lie, but if you must, in order to get your foot in the door, lie just a little. (laughs) And uh, so next step on that journey is Hurricane Ivan hit me and I kept doing the job and I was really unhappy and I was really out of sorts and I didn't have a place to live and I was living with a boyfriend's parents and it got really messy and Fast forward, and I decided to leave that behind, go back to New Orleans, cross over into the world of public relations. I heard that was the shiny new thing, and that maybe there was a little bit more of a work-life balance than what I had been noticing as editor of this paper. And I landed a role as in PR with the American Cancer Society, another really you know valid, honorable position, honorable business. Uh, and then Hurricane Katrina hit. And once again, my life was disrupted to say the least. This time I didn't lose my stuff, but I did lose my car. And after a couple of years of really just feeling like I've been getting kicked and, you know, tossed and turned, I said, you know what, there's got to be more to life. And I'm at my prime. I'm like 27 years old at this point in time. And I said, I can be creative. I'm a creative at my core. I've got to go chase a creative role. So I packed up my things and I moved to Nashville, Tennessee, after a job in the music industry, which sounds so cliche now, but back then I didn't know what I didn't know. And for six months, I pounded the pavement. I went on job interviews. I was determined not to settle. I was determined that this was a turning point in my life that I would look back on and be grateful for, um, you know, being so bold and so Uh, a little bit unreasonable. And it did pay off. Six months later, I landed the gig of a lifetime with Yamaha, the music manufacturer, right? So I landed this role doing PR, some creative direction. And again, you know, I didn't, I didn't have a plan, but there I was smack dab in the middle of the artist relations department for Yamaha. My very first phone call was to Grandmaster Flash, the founder of hip hop. My second phone call would be with Christopher Cross, right? One of my favorite songs of all time, Sailing. Talk about a gig. I loved it. And I was blown away and I was excited and I was young and I was motivated and I was ambitious and I was all the things. And I freaking shined in that role. And I would ultimately be asked to lead and kick off a video department. And I would get to fly around the world interviewing world-class artists like Elton John and Sarah McLachlan and John Legend and Jason Mraz and Sarah Bareilles. And I could go on and on and on of all of the people that I had the chance to sit down with and interview and hear their stories and share their stories. And man, it was a, it was a gig. It was a gig. I would also be asked to, well, actually I asked if I could launch social media campaigns around what we were doing because it was a time in which Facebook was really growing and I saw this opportunity. And then I took it a step further and I said, rather than us hiring a social media agency, why don't we, why don't you let me find an agency that will teach me everything they know? (laughs) And lo and behold, I did. I found this agency out of LA and I said, here's the deal. You know, I want to launch a Facebook page, but I don't want to just hire you to do it. I want you to teach me what you do. 
and let me learn alongside you. And and I, I don't know, I must have sounded really convincing because they said yes. And I was able to really learn on the job and grow that Facebook page for Yamaha. Um, and it was a it was, yeah, it was just a dream come true, right? I worked my butt off. I flexed my creative wings. I met people that I grew up listening to. I wore hats that I never thought I would wear. I really felt like I was on my path. And that lesson there was to younger me to don't be afraid to start over. Don't be afraid to leave it all behind. Don't be afraid to do what people think might sound a little crazy. And don't settle for less than what you know is meant for you. My other lesson is set better boundaries and stand up for yourself a little bit more. I would learn that eventually, but I wish I had known it back then. Around three years in of this job, this roller coaster of an incredible opportunity, I started to get the itch and I was missing New Orleans. And I don't really remember what led to that moment. I know I went through another heartbreak around that time. So maybe it was the cusp of the big breakup that sent me back to my roots. But I was just craving New Orleans and I got a job offer and I packed my things up and I headed back down south. And the gig that took me back down there did not pan out. I was very unhappy, very quickly realized this was not the place for me. And Yamaha came back calling and found out that it wasn't working out. And they said, come come back, come back. And why don't you come back and work for one week of every month in Nashville? Because at that point I had bought a house in New Orleans. I was like, I can't leave. I just bought a house. They said, okay, come back, work for a week of every month in Nashville and the rest of the time from New Orleans. And I thought, this is golden. And this was before this was a thing. This was long before the pandemic made it normal or natural for us to work from home. So I was ecstatic to say the least. And I went back and forth for a little while and it didn't take long before we realized that it wasn't really ideal for me or for my boss at the time. And so I said, this isn't working. He said, you're right, it's not working. Okay, I'm gonna walk away again. But this time he said, let's put you up as a contractor and you tell me, what do you want to work on? What part of the job do you want? And let's just set you up as a contractor. And again, dream come true, right? I got to pick all the parts of the job that I loved, which was all the creative direction work. I got to keep the magazine that I produced twice a year and all the video interviews that I did with the artists. And I got to keep parts of the promo parts with the record label and helping launch these new albums with these really fun bands. And and I just it was just a dream. I ended up doing that for another seven years, bringing my total to Yamaha, my time with Yamaha to 10 years. I joked back then. I still joke to this day. It's my longest relationship to date. And even though it was rocky at times, as they all are, I miss those early days. I miss that team. I miss that creative buzz. So my lesson there is sometimes when you go for what you want, you get even more than you asked for. Okay. So back when I was negotiating the terms with Yamaha, I was also launching my own PR and branding agency called Bats on Strings, B as in boy, Bats on Strings. And the name was a bit of an inside joke with a movie director who at the time had just hired me to be the unit publicist for his new film starring Rose McGowan. I told you there were going to be some twists and turns on this journey. Okay, bear with me. But I met him at a party in the French Quarter and fast forward, fast forward, here we are. I'll never forget the job was going to pay me $7,000. It felt like a million to me at the time. 
And at that point, I knew I had to form an LLC because I had to make this official, right? I knew I couldn't just like pocket seven grand. I knew there was more to it than that. So I said, okay, I got to fill out this LLC form. There was this little bit of an inside joke with me saying bats on strings instead of dun-dun-dun when we were watching this movie for research. And so when it came time to scribble down a name, I said bats on strings. Not at all thinking about the longevity, not at all thinking about where I was going to take the business, where I wanted to go with the business. None of that really was crossing my mind. I just thought it was clever and unique and different and memorable, and it was, and it served its purpose. Um, But my lesson here is think about your brand name and think about where you want to be in five years or 10 years and make sure it makes sense. And and if it's going to be creative and clever, you know, that's okay too. Granted, you can always rebrand, which I did eventually rebrand, but there was a lot of SEO juice that I missed out on in those years because, you know, now you can Google me and you're going to find this, some stuff under bats on strings and some stuff under Tiffany Knapper. So lesson there, think about your brand name think a little bit into the future. (laughs) Uh, I went on quickly to sign a few more big names with that agency as soon as I launched. Grandmaster Flash became one of my very first clients for social media management. Mark Cohn, the legendary Mark Cohn of Walking um, in Memphis, became on board for PR and social media management, went on to represent him for many, many years. Love and adore you, Mark. Sending you all my love. Before you knew it, I had five clients and I had an intern and we were off to the races. Okay, now to the messy middle, as if as if you didn't think there had always already been enough. So, just one year into running my PR and branding agency, I got the itch to create some product, and I thought it was going to be product in collaboration with my artist roster. But around about the same time, I also got wind of this news that NFL was going to be passing a new stadium-approved handbag policy. This was after the Boston Marathon incident. And that our bags were going to need to be tiny and clear to get into NFL games. And I was a rabid Saints fan, still am. And at the time, I went to all the games. And I was like, oh, no. I ran immediately to grab a tape measure. I ran immediately to my closet. I immediately measured all of my handbags. None of them passed the test. None of them were four and a half inches by six and a half inches. And none of them were clear. So a quick Google search sent me down this rabbit hole I didn't find much, a few things on eBay, a few pieces from China, nothing that really felt like it rocked my boat. So the next thing you know, I was sketching designs on paper and I had messaged this girl who I found on eBay with a couple of other PVC designs. And I said, hey, this is going to sound crazy, but I have an idea and I have this idea. Here's the sketch. If I gave you this, this drawing, could you try to make this purse for me? And basically I was, I was seeing if she would make me a prototype and she said, yes. And again, I was off to the races this time making clear handbags. And she said, yes, we went back and forth, but designs and prototypes between my backyard studio in New Orleans and her home in California. I started test driving them to see how they held up. And I went to a coffee shop to meet up with a friend who ran a big a big, um, I guess, influencer campaign or influencer account at the time called iHeartNola. And it was the days of fusing hipstamatic and it was the days of posting photos of our coffee, okay? So he snapped a photo of our lattes on the table and on that table sat one of my clear handbags. And I only lived about three minutes walking distance from this coffee shop. By the time I got home, I remember Scott 
had messaged me and he was like, somebody wants to know where they can buy the purse. And I was like, oh crap. Um, I am not ready. I don't know how to sell a product. I'm, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I don't know how much it's going to be. I, I, I wasn't ready. Lesson here. First to market is no joke. Don't overthink it. Just do it. Really quickly, I figured out how to put up a Shopify account. Really quickly, I set a price. Really quickly, I started selling these bags. And we were once again off to the races. Now, the early years of running my handbag line were wild and crazy and exhausting and fun. And I was selected to be part of an entrepreneurial incubator program. I got a mentor. I had to stand on stages and tell my elevator pitch live on the news in an elevator. I had to talk to investors. I also had to learn what it felt like to be belittled when a leader of the company asked me, what's so unique about a handbag idea? What's the big idea? That's not big enough or unique enough to win. And I had to know what it felt like to be asked by the leader if I was going to wear a clear dress to our finale. Yeah, that happened. And so my lesson there was stand up for yourself and stand up for your big ideas. I wish I'd stood up for myself a little bit better back then. I remember being very shell-shocked. I remember thinking, don't rock the boat, Tiffany. I remember thinking, just smile and nod, Tiffany. Oh, if I could go back in time and do that a little differently, I definitely would. Oh, P.S. <laughs> the winner of that competition ended up being a brewery. So you tell me, <laughs> is a brewery a more unique or bigger idea than a stadium-approved handbag line? I think not, but I digress. Let's jump back into some more positive things. During this season of my career, I also launched a co-working space. It was a lateral business move at the time. My team was growing. I needed, I needed a better space to ship and receive handbags, something better than my backyard. And when I looked into other co-working spaces in the New Orleans area, there wasn't a lot to choose from. And it quickly became very unaffordable for me based on kind of the size of my team. So I said, you know what? I could get, I could just rent a property and turn it into a co-working space and you know, divide up the space to cover the rent. And again, I was off to the races. So I launched the Riverbend Collective and I painted walls and built a photo studio and the team grew and, and I created a built-in hub of people so that I never felt alone. And I really also never had to look that closely in the mirror at the chaos that I was starting to surround myself by. But my lesson here is that this journey can be lonely. So find a tribe, but don't feel like you have to create the hub for them, <laughs> right? Just find the tribe. Now, I'm going to skip over some details, but let me reestablish some things. So now we are in 2014. I'm three years into my entrepreneurial journey, and I'm now running four businesses, my PR and branding agency called Bats on Strings, a handbag line called Flying Fox, a co-working space called the Riverbend Collective, and a short-term Airbnb property that is also my home. And that got very complicated at times. I was living in such a state of overwhelm that I would book my house and then I would secretly sleep at the co-working space, smuggle in my dog because dogs weren't allowed on property, get up at the crack of dawn to shower and change so that no one knew I had spent the night there. 
And it wasn't that I was broke. That's the kicker. (laughs) I was not broke. It's that I didn't know how much money was going and coming, coming and going. And rather than taking the time to figure that out and better understand that, I just lived in this reactionary state of more, more, more. Okay, I'll sell more handbags. Okay, I'll rent my house out. Okay, more, more. What can I grab? What money can I grab today to make sure that I'm okay? And looking back now, I am well aware that it sounds crazy. It's also why I can relate to so many of my clients who come to me with their heads hanging low and shame because they don't know how much money is coming and going every month. I get it. I've been there. My mom was my accountant in those early days, and she would say to me, Tiffany, you you seem to always have this baseline of about $20,000 in your bank account. Is that intentional, or why are you so worried, right? Why are you so stressed? And while I have no idea where I came up with the number 20K, it's possible that I had crunched the numbers and kind of felt like that was a good safety net. But what I did know was that I did not feel confident in numbers. I had believed this story that because I was a creative and because I was a writer, that I wasn't good at math and that I couldn't possibly be good at numbers and I couldn't possibly be a good business owner right? I didn't have a clear understanding of like this, this monthly statement that showed me what was coming in and going out. I knew what we were making. Obviously I sent out every invoice. I wrote every proposal. I knew what my bills were. I knew what I had to pay my staff. And I obviously knew that if I had 20 K in my bank account, I felt like I was kind of always okay. I also side note grew up in a family where my dad was very clear to me that you do not live outside your means. So luckily in this story and in this equation, I was very responsible and always have been with my money. There's a, there's a, a a joke in my family that as I have an older sister and there, and we're very different in a lot of ways. And there was a joke in my family that if you gave Tiffany a dollar and one year, she would have a dollar and 10. And if you gave my sister a dollar in one year, she would have negative 10. It was just a little bit of a joke because I was a saver, right? Um, I'm not bragging. I'm not saying this is a good thing. I'm just trying to give you some context around how I was able to pull this off. How was I possibly able to run four profitable businesses, six-figure businesses, and not have a clue what my monthly incoming and outgoing really was? So my lesson here for you is not knowing your numbers as a business owner is the equivalent of a pilot flying blindfolded. Do not recommend zero out of 10. While you may be able to avoid some obstacles, you're never going to be able to nail that landing. You're definitely not going to feel confident in the cockpit. You need to take the blindfold off and just look at the spreadsheets or get someone who can look at and build those spreadsheets for you, okay? Okay. Okay. So I was wearing a lot of hats. I was doing a lot of things. It was around this time in my life. I made some poor choices in my personal life. I married a narcissist who in hindsight also was looking for a green card. I'm going to save that for another podcast episode. It's juicy. It's good. It's a season in my life that I have no regrets around. 
I 1000% believe that happened to me so that I could look myself in the mirror and do the work that would be needed for me to do to get to where I am today, to lead others and to be able to say, you know what? I've been there. I've hit rock bottom. I know how to get back up. I can help you too. So we're going to save that personal story for another day. But around about the same time, a business coach reached out to me. His name is Zach. Hi, Zach. And I didn't even know what a business coach was, but I was tired and I was skipping meals and I was, I'm not going to get emotional. (laughs) Okay. I was tired. I was skipping meals. I was arguing with my mom, even though I was on the cover of magazines and newspapers and standing on stages and getting flown to New York to stand on stages. I was lost. I was so lost. So when I say that I believe in the power of support, of finding a mentor or a business coach or an ally, those words, they're not just words. I believe in the power of reaching out your hand and asking for help. Or if someone extends their arm to you, take it. So Zach came into my life and I knew that I was not happy with the person looking back at me in the mirror and I needed help. And Zach was the very first person to say to me, ironically enough, you should be a business coach. (laughs) And I remember thinking, Zach, you are crazy. (laughs) But the truth is, I was running successful businesses on paper. I did somehow seem to have some sort of magic in me. I knew how to be bold, courageous, follow my passion. Because of my PR and branding background, I knew how to sell something. I knew how to market something. I knew how to brand something. So he planted that very first seed for me way back when. And and I just laughed it off at the time, but it, it was it was a moment that I'll never forget. But Zach also helped me look in the mirror and say, Tiffany, what do you want? What do you want your life to look like? And what do you want your legacy to be? And it was during that season that I knew that I had to scale back. I had to say no to some things in order to be able to say yes to something bigger. So I made the very challenging decision to start separating myself from Yamaha. I made the very challenging decision to close the handbag line. It took about a year, but I did it. I made a very challenging decision to break a lease and close the co-working space, sell everything in it, had a big yard sale and said, I'm packing up my bags and I'm, I'm going back to Nashville. And I know I wouldn't have been able to make all of those big pivotal challenging decisions if I had not had Zach there. He had my back, right? And he gave me the confidence and and it was just, oh, it was such a big turning point in my life. So I remember saying to Zach, I've got to go. I've got to go stretch my wings again. I've got to get out of this box that I put myself back in. 
I've got to be free. Freedom is what I wanted when I started this, when I said I'm going to become an entrepreneur and I'm going to do my own thing. It wasn't so that I could feel like I had to be the first person in the office every day and the last person to leave. It was because I wanted to be able to take on different projects and work for different people. And I wanted to not feel like there was a ceiling above me. And I didn't want to have to sit in conference rooms anymore. And I didn't want to have to do stupid reports that didn't matter to me. That's why I did this. That's why I became an entrepreneur. And so in those moments with Zach, I I just had to be really honest with myself and say, what does Tiffany want? And what does she need? And what's going to help me show up better in this world. And so I closed down some things and I made some big decisions and I said, I'm hitting the road. I'm going to go to Nashville. I'm going to get my yoga teaching certificate. I'm going to go through yoga teacher training because I, at that time, was also very well aware that I had put my well-being on the back burner for many years. I watched my garden literally shrivel up and die my yoga practice went by the wayside. All of the things that kind of were probably keeping me steady and balanced for so many years, I just accidentally tossed them by the wayside. And, you know, a few years go by and you realize, oh, wait, those things mattered to me and I've got to make them a priority again. And I remember at the time, I started off really small. I started off with, I'm going to get on my yoga mat every morning. It was yoga with Adrian on YouTube. I rolled my yoga mat out in my front living room, 20 minutes a day. And I was like, let me do this for 30 days. And that became 60 days. And that became months. And before you know it, I had almost met one year of getting on my mat every day. It wasn't a long workout every time, but it was a dedication to me. It was a recommitment to myself. So Fast forward, I said, I'm going to go through yoga teacher training because what does an overachiever do when she feels burned out? She decides to overachieve in the world of wellness. I joke, but also it's not that funny. Um, <laughs> but that's what I did. I moved back to Nashville. I thought it was going to be a temporary move. I literally packed up a Fiat. That's what I drove at the time, a little Fiat convertible with whatever it would fit, which was not a lot. And I came to Nashville and I got a little sublease over in 12 South area and I went through yoga teacher training and I, you know, scaled back on my client load so that it was manageable for just me again to do without having to have all these employees and contractors and really kind of downsized everything and thought I'm going to rebuild and I'm going to, I'm going to rebuild in a way that feels good to me, that feels a little bit more in control, right? And I did the whole eat, pray, love thing. And I went to Bali and, oh gosh, you know, I went through more heart heartaches and heartbreaks and, and struggled with what I really wanted to do. I tried on influencer stuff for a little while and that didn't feel good. And I struggled with body image and I struggled with self-worth and I went through a big wellness journey and started paying attention to what I was eating again. And became a matcha addict and started sharing my matcha recipes and oh my god on and on and on this there was probably a few years there in which I was just experimenting i suppose so my lesson here is don't be afraid to jump ship and start anew don't be afraid to jump ship and paddle over to a brand new boat because sometimes our sunk costs are going to cost us more in the long run 
and then what is potentially on the other side if we just start anew. Now, gosh, I don't know, 2017, I worked with my second business coach, Kaylee, met some amazing women, went on some more trips, still continued to do PR, continued to do social media management, continued to think, I'm not sure this is right for me, but but also did a lot of work on my money mindset, a lot of work on sustainability, successful sustainability, landed my first multi-six-figure contract with a client, landed my second six-figure contract with a client, really started to get my groove. And it's it's funny because the lesson here is the less I cared, the more money I made. (laughs) The less I kind of cared about whether the client said yes or no, the more they said yes to these bigger numbers. And in the past, I was like, please, please, please give me $1,000 a month. And now I'm like, it's $20,000 a month, take it or leave it. And they're going, yes. (laughs) And I was like, wow. Because I knew I was going to over deliver no matter what they said, right? That wasn't the, that was not the question. I knew I was going to blow, blow it out of the water and we did. But I also knew that I was slowly, slowly realizing that I didn't feel nearly as connected to the work as I once did. 2020 rolls around, January of 2020, and I signed up for a Reiki session and a life coaching session, two things that were brand new to me, and had a little bit of an epiphany and sat in the discomfort, if you will, that maybe something really big is on the horizon, maybe something really different is on the horizon. And the lesson here is when you hear that voice, Don't ignore her. And even if you don't have a clear picture, even if it's really fuzzy and not even remotely in focus, don't stop looking straight ahead. So I sat in that discomfort for a couple of months and the pandemic happened. It's March of 2020 now. I was a member, a founding member of a women's only co-working space in Nashville, Tennessee. And the founder called me up and said, would you be willing to lead a workshop, an online workshop? We've got to shut our doors down. We just opened them. We've got to close down. And I'm trying to come up with ways to keep the community engaged. Could you lead a webinar? And I thought, "Hmm, yeah, I could do that. And here's a moment. Here's an opportunity for me because obviously now is not the time to teach anybody about PR or branding. (laughs) That's not what we're dealing with. But now could be a really good time to teach people what it looks like to build a more sustainable, successful business. Here's a really good time to talk about the systems that maybe you don't have in your in your business that you could be building right now while the doors are shut and we're in lockdown. Here's a really good time to talk about the mindset components, those what I call toxic dragons that might actually be hindering your success. And we've never really had time to evaluate it because we've been running full speed ahead. So I thought, sure, I'll I'll lead a webinar. And I, I threw something together and I led that first webinar and I loved it. I loved every minute of it. It was so intoxicating to me. I realized that both Zach and Kaylee, my previous business coaches who had said to me, you should be a business coach, were on to something. 
it really was my calling. And Kathy called me up and she said, it got great response. Would you do it again? And I said, absolutely. And I did it again and again, several times in that one week. And pretty quickly, people were asking me, how can I work with you? Do you have a coaching program? What's next? And so I thought, here we go. And we're off. (laughs) You notice a theme here. And I threw together a group coaching program and I gave it a name and I put up some little announcements and I literally sold the spots with uh, Venmo (laughs) because I didn't have like Stripe set up. I didn't have my Squarespace website set up to accept payments. I I was just using it as a blog at the time. So I thought, oh, just I'll take payments through PayPal or Venmo. No big deal. And... God, I think I charged $299 for that six-week program. Set a goal of six clients, got them, led that first round, and again, loved every minute of it. And we were off. And I've really never looked back. Pretty quickly from there, I realized that this was my, my next path. This was the focus. This was the picture coming into focus I was meant to be a business coach. I was meant to help other creative business women learn how to scale their businesses, run their businesses, make sure that their businesses didn't put them in second place of their lives. This was what I was meant to do. So my lesson is to embrace the pivot. That word that got such a bad rap, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love you, pivot. Embrace the pivot. You never will know what's waiting for you if you are so steadfast, heels stuck in the ground, committed to what's no longer bringing you joy. Whether it's a business or an offer or a relationship, any of it, okay? Embrace the pivot. So that brings us to today. Here I am three years in as a business coach, helping women have $150,000 launches, $70,000 launches, nail lockdown, $84,000 contracts, grow teams, get out of the trenches, find their true calling. Oh my gosh, what a beautiful ride it has been and we are just getting started. Thank you for listening. I hope you know that based on my story, No matter where you are right now, no matter what is going on, this or more is possible. This or more is what's available to you. So if currently you're sitting there and you're making $5,000 a month with your business, this or more is possible for you. $6,000 is just around the bend. If you're sitting here listening and you're also finding yourself running a business that doesn't bring you joy, this or more is waiting for you a business that brings you even more abundance and more joy. If you're sitting there and you've been sitting on an idea that you haven't brought to light yet because you're terrified it won't work, but you're pretty successful right now, this or more is waiting for you. You've just got to do the thing. You've got to go fearlessly in pursuit of the things that light you up, that bring you joy. You've got to show the world how courageous and brave and bold and beautiful you and your brilliant ideas are. This or more is waiting for you.
Thank you for tuning in today. I would be eternally grateful if you would hit that follow button so we can stay connected and continue on this journey. And bonus points if you share it on Instagram and tag me at Tiffany Napper so that we can recruit more incredible, intuitive, creative, high vibe business owners who are ready for more. I'll see you in the next episode.